Welcome back to part two of our rowing special episode of Blood, Sweat and Fears, the ultimate podcast for athletes talking about their physical and emotional journeys before, during and after elite sport. I'm Mark Clement, alongside me Scott Ward, a retired professional footballer and the man behind this podcast and EY's personal performance programme. And on this particular episode, we're going to continue our conversation with the winners of no less than 24 gold medals, six Olympic and 18 world championships. Around the table with us, Team lead for athlete care and development for EY's personal performance programme. What a mouthful that is. And winner of two World Championship goals, Olympic gold in Beijing in 2008. Legend Mark Hunter, Team GB's most decorated female Olympian. Silvers in 2000, 2004, 2008, 2016 with a gold at London 2012 in amongst them. And six times world champion, now chair of UK sport, Dame Catherine Granger. And ten times world champion and four times. Olympic gold medal winner, Sir Matthew Pinson. How did you bounce back, Catherine, from getting so close on those three occasions uh, and go again? Well, what drove you? Yeah, and a bit, a bit like we talked before. There's the, there's a sort of sense of each Olympic cycle for me felt very different. I was in different boat class, different people. It wasn't the same. I think you have to. Well, I had to as an athlete not feel the the that element of here we go again, you know, back in our four years, same as last time. It had to feel different and fresh. Um, and but to come so close. But you're in a very different part of your life as well. You know, my first Olympic Games, going in first time Olympic Games, didn't, you know, at that point, back in Sydney 2000, women's team had never won any Olympic medals of any colour in the history of women's rowing at the Olympic Games. To win a silver was groundbreaking and sensational and and yes we're very very much uh in the shadow of of matthew and and the rest of the lads team but it was it was a massive thing so actually that silver medal was as good as winning any color of medal that day if they'd given us the gold couldn't have been happier it was sheer a celebration of that medal so so that one was brilliant but also once you once you've done it once mark knows as well you want to go again and you want to do it better so going the second time and getting the same color it was a little bit of frustration, but it also was the, we did some, I was in a different boat and we did quite a lot of challenges leading up to that game. So actually it looked like nothing was going to be realistic to come back from those games with. So the silver was still, I was very proud of the result we got. A little bit disappointed it wasn't another step on, but quite realistic about that's actually, that was still a brilliant performance for us. So it was only the third time when it felt like, it genuinely felt like it was a failure. It genuinely felt like we had because you've been world champions three of the four years in between the, the sets of Olympics. Yeah, and, and we were leading the Olympic final. And there's, you know, we were we had a great crew and everyone's fit and well and strong and really believed in the right mindset. Really believed they could deliver this result finally. And we'd never won Olympic gold at that point in rowing and women's side. And it felt like this could be the right time. So to to lose it in the dying stages on that, it felt the scale of it's not even disappointment. It, it's You've very much lost your perspective as an athlete, and it, and it's fine. It's a healthy thing. You know, it feels like it's everything to you to deliver this final result. So when you don't deliver the result you feel you should, then the the loss is immense and it's immediate. And it is those results define you as an athlete in so many ways. So you know what that failure feel you know will be seen as, and also you feel you have let down not just your teammates and your coach and all this incredible support we have around us, but you know, when, when, when we're talking about putting, you know, names on a board and counting the Olympic medals coming in, you feel that you've let down the bigger team and then also the nation. So it feels, uh, you know, an immense loss on that scale is very, very hard to sort of bounce back quickly from. 
I think it's well there. Sorry, Mark, I was just going to say, so I can totally appreciate your, your last experience where, if you like, self-expectation is there and, and you know what is attainable. But it's a really dangerous landscape when people are presuming your disappointment based upon your output at that time. So winning the previous two silver medals for you is, you know, realistic was the epitome of what you wanted to achieve. But as a society, we try and give you the fact that you should be disappointed. And I find that really sad state of affairs in sport. We try and we try and tell somebody, well, it's not a gold. Therefore, you should be you should be upset because you've not got, you've not won gold. Well, why? But those me, perceptions have changed over time. No, but they? they've no, changed but over the past couple of decades. I think. I mean, from the in part one of this, we talked about the general medal hall back in nineteen ninety six. But I think because of what we have achieved over the past decade, if somebody gets a gold and then follows it with a silver, then it's it's society. Now, I, I'm, isn't I'm, it? not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Actually, I think that there is a there is a presumption because of how successful we've been over the last decade that unless you win gold, it's not necessarily spoken about. And again, this is about us allowing the athletes to speak about what their level of expectation is for themselves, not what we should give them. So, if I was going to an, Olymp- an Olympics, and my ambition was just to to, be, to do to do my PB for that season then that's okay. That shouldn't be criticised. But I genuinely don't feel like that's the landscape at the moment. I think it's, it's there's an expectation around tabling or winning a medal. And again, I just, I just, what we don't want to do is give, give somebody else an aspiration for themselves without them understanding what it is that they want to achieve. And that's, that goes back to that Bretford discussion again and about people understanding what good and bad is for them without somebody else giving it to them. Now, don't get me wrong. For example, if you're going to, if you're going to, be working in that elite environment and you're part of the two now clearly there is going to be an expectation there and that's that's part of your training program and that's what what you're trying to achieve but beyond that said i'm probably laboring the fact but we should just let people understand what their aspirations are and what their targets are and let it play out rather than us at times i do feel being disappointed for them without understanding whether they're happy or sad is that possible i think I'm I'm going to challenge that because in my role now um as a media person I'm in some sports I'm I'm the first person that people will talk to in the mix zone after an Olympics and so you'll see them and I'm really really careful when people when it when, the easy the easy ones are where people have won it's quite difficult where people have had an absolute disaster but you know what's coming somewhere around the Bronze, silver, fourth is a nightmare. You know, bronze or silver, I'm really careful that I'm not asking a question which is putting a mindset on them based on my own. I would know if, if, I, if, I, if I was an athlete and I'd won a silver medal, especially at the end, I would have been gutted, absolutely gutted. And I've got to be really careful as a media person, got to, that was a disaster, wasn't it? You know, what went wrong sort of thing. And and I have to be really careful with that. Um, but what I'm fascinated about when an athlete in that immediate moment when they've just stepped off the track or the slope or what, the lake or the river or whatever, um, I'm really interested in how it what they expected to happen and what just has happened and how close those two are together. I would say that's down to your level of understanding. I think if, you, if you're outside of that circle of like appreciation of what it's taken to get to that point and like you said break down or evaluate what's gone on 
and when I say society, I, I mean sort of outside of the you know the sport, mm. sporting mm. microcosm. I think it's easy to or, to or to generate what is good and bad because because of the success that the guys have had over the last ten years. I would say that your appreciation of the effort and and the task at hand, no matter like you say, if you come forth, you know what it means for them because, gosh, you don't have to live through it to understand how disappointed they must be. But I think outside of that level of understanding, it's at times I don't think that the dialogue or conversation is deep enough for other people to understand, okay, what that might mean for them or what they what they may be going through at that time. Like you say, to come fourth or fifth yeah. or seventh. And seventh for me might be I'm jubilant. I've had you know, and it's I've had um athletes and, you know, in sort of T V thing I've got an earpiece in with what used to be the grandstand studio, you know, the sort of studio in the in the city saying, right, we, we're going to come and talk to the athlete now in about 30 seconds. Are you ready? And I've got that in my ear. Yeah. And all I can see ahead of me are eight fingers wrapped around the top bar of the mix zone because they're on their knees weeping into the fence. Yeah. Weeping. And I've got to reach over and say, look, they're going to come to, they're going to, come to us live in 30 seconds. I'm happy to say now, we don't want to do this, it will go away, or do you want to do it? And she stood up and wiped her tears like this and went, no, come on, let's do it, come on, like that. Stood up. Amazing. Absolutely Bear amazing. Bearing in mind the current focus in society on mental health and certainly in sport, and the more that we win medals, with your current hat on, what are we what are we gonna do in terms of athlete care and, and that particular scenario we're talking about? How is how has sport changed, you think, over the last decade, decade and a half to be able to help people in that scenario? Yeah, well I that think Matthew's talking I mean I about. think first of all we have seen success go up across all sports and that's not just Olympic, Paralympic, professional sports. You know, the British sports landscape is very very healthy right now, very positive, and we've got great examples of role models across all sports. Now, we've gone from, you know, not that long ago when it was kind of Britain was that plucky underdog and just taking part really was important. And that's, you know, that's great from a sort of not too much expectation put on any one point of view, but wasn't great for ambition, success, inspiration, all those elements of it. You know, like we've discussed before, a lot of funding came in, investment, ambition grew with it, and suddenly everyone's sort of expectations went up. Now, again, that comes with brilliant positives if suddenly people could go out there and really try and fulfil great dreams. And then the risk is that are we becoming too focused on, you know, what is the actual result rather than what is the aim of that individual person? And, and that's where we have to be very, very conscious. But I don't think we'd want to step back and say, oh, well, you know, we'd like to go back just where everyone was taking part. Because I think the, the success is, has brought brilliant things with it. And, you know, we're around this table all would agree with our own lives, what it's done for us. Um, but I think what the growing awareness and the maturity of the system is, is how it responds to the probably unintended consequences that have come with that success and, and also how society changes. Society will, you know, sport does not exist in a sort of its own microcosm. It is its own bubble we often talk about, but it is within a wider world. And all the athletes and all the coaches and all the people who work in it are also you know, human beings in the real world. So those stresses, those tensions, those expectations might be part and parcel of now of what we do if we want to be in high performance sport but actually all need to be catered for and looked after and making sure that people are not left to try and deal with that at their own time. I think what sport has done better and better is recognise those 
the challenges we thought before that were maybe financial or possibly, you know, just balancing time or physical, now we recognise are actually mental and emotional just as much as anything else. And I think we are responding much better generally as, a, as all, across all sports is recognising if we don't get those bits right, we're, we're going to lose people anyway. We're not going to get the results we want and people won't have the positive experience they should have from sport. So I think sport has reacted to, to those sort of the changing reality of, of the world. You've spoken about your situation before on the, the, the podcast, on missing out and being in a pretty, pretty dark place. How supportive was your sport at that time in helping you get away from uh, Well, th- this is back in 2004, so that was a long time ago. Nothing. But- <clears throat> well, it was a case of back when Matthew was still rowing. Yeah. Yeah. Dark ages. Yeah. Well, I, I remember watching. Go with us. One of those now. Because <laughs> we had had, you know, Scott mentioned about you know athletes go there and nobody can win a gold medal. Well, we were not a gold medal boat. We knew that we were going to our best performance, and that's what the Olympics is so special for. There's a very small portion of people that get to have a gold medal, but people go there to the performance of a lifetime. That's what's so special about it. Um, and we were going there to do that. We weren't a gold medal crew. We weren't kidding ourselves. But it all went wrong, and we came last. Um, I went to the morning that these guys won their gold medal, and it was you know nip and tuck, and they did it. And then you know you kind of trying to enjoy the games because you're there as an athlete, but you're also really disappointed because you performed so badly. It wasn't that we just came last. We didn't deliver what we were capable of, or what we believe we were capable of. But then I came back, and this is where. I hope it's changed and you know the more we find out from athletes but I remember I came back and you know there's so much goes on after the games with you know the kind of events and stuff like that but when you come back and you've had a bad experience there was no one there to help and I remember just being just totally lost my funding was cut I was kicked out they said go back to your club it was horrendous there was no one there like how do we help these people you know they're, they're going to suffer now because they've built up something so big it's gone so wrong and then you just left your own devices. And I remember, I've talked about it before, driving down country roads, not caring if the car went into a tree and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't know what I was going through. And it was deep depression. You know, it was just the biggest thing that I'd ever competed, I wanted to go to, had just been awful. But you were on your your sabbatical and heading no, off to no, do so, your coaching. No, so this was my first Olympic Games, which right. you know, I dreamed of since I was a kid. It had all gone wrong. I came back and then this is when I got disillusioned with my sport a little bit because you just got kicked out that was it you're on your own just deal with it yourself there was no like oh let's work out why this didn't work how do we help these people come back from this you know and some of the guys that were in that boat with me they just disappeared in the sport and I don't speak to them anymore but I'm sure that they found that really tough as well I'm hoping now there's more help because I know we have the medal winners they go on these rampage of events you know, how do we help the people that don't quite live up to their own expectations or those around them? How do we help them? Expectations, inflated expectations of the general public, social yeah. media, and, and that was pressure on. And then obviously the four years later, I was at the other end of the spectrum where I won and you're, you're being paraded, you're doing loads of great things. And I always remember thinking about the people that I saw sitting in the other seats, like, I wonder how they're going to be when they come back. So I know exactly how bad that felt when it all went wrong. And I remember like just talking with those athletes, like, you know, the ones that were at the, the bottom end of the team trying to get in, they're in, they're out, just trying to make them realise that, you know, it will be tough, but if you keep persevering, our sport is one of those sports, you keep working at it, the chance are you'll eventually get there if you get in the right combinations and those sort of things. And I just remember that being a very lonely place for six months, really lonely. Do you, do you think the very nature of 
Well, actually, particularly your sport, because I've seen you talk about pain management. I mean, it's that extreme. <laughs> I've seen videos of all of you falling off rowing machines at the end of a, a particular run and things. It is some sort of emotional turmoil, and in some people that will manifest itself as mental health problems, inevitable because you are driving yourself so hard. Yeah. And, and some of what Mark talks about chimes with me even after winning. And you think, what? That's, that's mad. You know, the, 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 that second week in, in Athens, I didn't sleep. Did not sleep for a week. And you think, you've just won. You've just, you've just won. It's, it's, it should be fine. And we had, I was with my wife and we had a nice hotel room. And, you know, the first night after winning a gold medal, you think, oh, fine, yeah, that's not a problem. It's just, you're just enjoying the moment. The gold medal's on the bedside table, not a drama. And, you know, I, can't, I wrote a blog. Oh, I wrote a bit of my book. I was writing a book and I wanted to finish off the book. Easy, you know, I'll do that in the night, no problem. Got up the next morning and my wife said, you good to sleep? I was like, no, it's fine. Yeah, it'd be all right. And then, so we had a really nice day, went and watched some sport the next day and then went down to, I don't know, a beach club and had a few beers. I thought, oh, have a, have a really good, solid sort of four or five beers. That'll really put me to sleep. Got back to the hotel room at two in the morning, nothing. And this went on night after night after night. And she was really beginning to get worried after. And I said, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's just a, a sort of adjustment. It is, and it, there is a it, it is such a big thing. There is such a build-up. You make no plan for what's going to happen after because all your focus should be on executing, as the psychologists say, execute your plan on that day, in that six minutes, to the tiniest, tiniest detail, and then it'll work out. And there is nothing afterwards. There is no thought whatsoever. All you know is you've got a plane ticket home on this day and be on the bus. Is it possible to make a plan? Because there are so many different potential scenarios, aren't there? Yeah, there are so many different concurrent plans you would have to have. Uh, I'm very similar to Matt in that when I remember in 2012, when we'd, it's, you know, in rowing finals at 2,000 metre course, and we had planned for every contingency we could imagine for that 2,000 metre race. So everything that could go wrong might happen, any unexpected reactions from other crews, other countries, Anything we we you want to make sure before you even get to the start line you've got as many options available to you and as many answers before the questions come to you. But what you don't plan for is when that two thousand meter line you hit it. You don't plan for the two thousand one meter. You know you don't plan for two thousand two meters because almost what's the point? Why? Because whatever happens in that two thousand meters then sort of has the effect on what happens next. So in a way, it's I think it's a you know a brilliant ability that athletes have is just that incredible intense focus for that period of time that is absolutely essential to them. And then, and then you're into the unknown. And in a way, that's that makes it feel manageable because that's a bit you are in control of and you have some say in. But then it is, it is that daunting moment of when you're now in you're now in uncharted territory because you never talked about or planned for this next bit. I remember in um, London after you won in the second week, I was doing media in London doing BBC, and um, I got a text from your doubles partner Anna. And she said, "Oh, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the park. Um, we're, we're near the, near the BBC studio. Are you anywhere? You anywhere near?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. I've just finished work. I'm whatever. I'll come over and see you." And it was there was a studio on that sort of pillar, and you were up on the 
Sophia. It was one of the very last nights of the game, so it was all coming to a all coming to an end. 2012 felt for the Olympics, all coming to an end. And you had gone out, and you were doing the show with Gabby and I think David Beckham and whatever upstairs. And uh, Anna was there, and she said, "Oh, have you got five minutes?" I was like, "Yeah, fine." And and we just sat down, sort of in the dark, in the middle of the Olympic, in amongst all this hubbub. And she was basically in floods of tears. And she was saying, is, it, is this normal? And I was like, yes, it is completely normal. You're fine. Don't worry. She's like, I've got, you know, we won our gold medal five days ago. It was the best day of my life. I haven't been, we, we haven't had a moment of peace ever since. You were just, it was just this sort of red carpet roller coaster, if there's such a thing, you know. And she was just like, I'm really... I've just I don't know which way is up and and she was basically just saying is this is this usual did is you this? know this yeah yeah I did yeah yeah you knew she was like this well no no I knew she we, she talked about it afterwards because obviously I came out and, and was like where were you and she did say it was lovely and that's I have to say that's one of the bo- most amazing things of being part of a huge Olympic team like that is those those are the people who can help you in that moment the people who have been through it you know Matthew's been through it multiple times when you have won the Olympics what is it like four days after? Because you feel it should answer all your dreams and therefore life will be rosy from then on. And, and people really struggle with that. And the other and, and the other factor she was interested in is uh, there are times where the media want to want to split us up. They mm-hmm. want they want Catherine to go and do the you know, they're talking about this for her. And I, I'm, you know, and a classic example. We're sitting down in the dark and Catherine's up doing the doing the studio as you as you should and as you would. I mean, it's sort of natural. But she was like, you, you know, you you had this with Steve when 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 you came back from Sydney, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is this is fine. You know, she's going to go off and do the Parkinson show and you you won't be asked. It's fine. Did you go and do the Parkinson show? No, Maybe never not. got asked. It's probably stopped by there. Having spent years together, m- sort of bonding yourself almost at the hip, not literally, but in a rowing boat, and then suddenly in that two-person dynamic, there's one person who's going to be up in lights and the other person is like, oh, well, well done, but, you know, getting elbowed out of the way as someone rushes in to get a signature. It was, you know... And it, it, that is a real adjustment. And this is, you know, this is, you talk about people winning gold medals for this scenario. This isn't the other end of the spectrum where it's all gone wrong and they're still emotionally all over the place. But I remember when I had that experience with Athens, I made sure that after Beijing, I had something to go to because, you know, we're driven people, we like goals and targets. And to have something afterwards gave me something to focus on the moment it was finished. So I, set up and got a job ready for me in California so I moved out to UCLA in LA three weeks after the Olympics in Beijing so I missed all the razzmatazz back home but it put me in a much more stable place because I knew once I'd done you know I had that moment on the bed and I was like wow you know but how did they do this but I knew there was another exciting challenge to come that I had something ready to go a few weeks later because I'd had that horrific experience four years before of that loneliness it had all gone wrong I had nothing planned I had no money I was living at Leander I had n- literally nothing and no I was kind of I felt like a laughing stock where I wanted to make sure whatever happened I had something to go into straight away to, to kind of get out of that environment and just to be obviously here we've been talking about emotional realignment and trying to understand what your good was going to be for the future now, you know, we're all sitting here with new roles and, and a new landscape to look at. Do you, 
do you feel the same motivation? Do you, do you feel the same fulfillment towards what you do? I know it's a bit of a loaded question, but you know, do you feel as if you've been you've been able to to understand what your new good is? Uh, I mean, Mark, for you, for example, I know you have to say yes in I'm sitting across <laughs> the table from you, but you know, just yeah. a bit be, being honest, because I, as, I think as well that athletes come to us quite often and think that we're just going to be one hundred percent okay and that's not always the case. You know, you do wake up some days and you miss it or like I do, I'll have the odd dream where I'm late for training. Um, and it's that subliminal, those subliminal messages that go on. It's, and like you said, Matt, it's about normalizing the fact that sometimes you, you won't feel okay, but it's life. And, you know, more recently I've had to have my second cardiac surgery, but that's my journey and that's my challenge. And, and it's about that relativity, isn't it? It's, it's what moment you're in and how you're feeling at times. So I'd just like to, I think it's always, you know, you understand your value and identity as an athlete. And I still feel I'm trying to find that in the real world. But I, I'm okay with that now, if that makes sense. Like, I've I've kind of had the kind of lows after London, like, what do I do now? And I've gone into various roles. But one thing I was always really keen, I understood my personal brand. That was really important to me, like, who I am, what, what how I can interact with people, my social interactions with others. Um, but then... I really care about other people. That's something I, re I really want to help others because I've seen too many others that were, were part of this amazing journey and it comes to that end and they get to that end point, there's nothing planned and then they self-destruct. And I just think we can be so much better at helping them. You know, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. It's a transition out or whatever it is you'd go on to do next, but just upskilling people. And I just want to help others to understand the different landscapes you may... Um, you know, because everybody has a different view of the, view of the, view of the world. We call it, you know, the, the way they look through their lens, um, and just making sure they're prepared for that what next, so they feel comfortable in moving on to whether it be a dustman, whether it be working at the BBC, whether it be you, but, you know, yeah, whatever that is for you as an individual. I still find the. Um, I mean, it's been as we said, it's been more than fifteen years since I stopped. I still find immigration forms a challenge. <laughs> Who am I? Yeah, yeah. occupation. occupation. There's always a little box. And when, you, when you're in sport, it's, oh, easy, sportsman. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, blimey, that's a bit earthy. How am I going to describe myself now? You know, sometimes you bottle it, but ex-sportsman. <laughs> Do you? Do you? Sometimes. Be because some sports people see that as, as one of those moments. I've got a couple of pals, footballers, who, who have kind of, they describe themselves in their current profession, whether it be summariser or yeah. thinking of one property owner or whatever it is in order to move on and live the next part of their life but that immigration form is a great example because when you put that when you write down for example footballer and you're handing over your passport they double check you and you give them the raise of the eyebrows and say yeah that's me you know you get a bit of self-fulfillment just at that half a second and again it's ridiculous but if that's where you're getting your hit from then so be it and that's so, that's so to hard. Come back to Did you my... go back and forward in a lot of flights just to have that <laughs> moment? <laughs> oh, my another little one. It, brilliant. My air miles are phenomenal, by the way. Um, no, but it's, it's asking it's, for a form when it, <laughs> landing back in London. Matthew, are you settled? Are you comfortable in your own skin? Oh, completely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Have you always been throughout your transition process? Yeah, because not once have I thought. I retire at the wrong time or this isn't what I want to be doing. Whereas in sport, you don't get a choice. You don't get a choice about what you're doing. You well, you do every four years, but then you're then you're on a then you're on a mission. And nothing else in life is gonna feel like that. And so the way I describe it is I used to do one thing and now I do 
10. And not one of those 10 is as binary as winning or losing gold medals. Not one of those 10 is going to be on TV in the same way an Olympic race is. Yes, OK, I'm on TV in, in an Olympic environment, but not, you know, no one's worried about whether you're winning or losing. Um, and then the, 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 the joy of being able to say, look, here's 10 things I'm doing. Do you know what? Next year, I'm going to try and do more of that yeah. and less of that. And, oh, if someone's come along with an opportunity to do a bit of this, why don't you try that? No one's going to know if you're absolutely rubbish at it. No one's going to care. It's like you don't have to tell anyone. And one of them can be husband, because that doesn't mix with very easily with sport. One of them can be dad. And that de I have no idea how people mix that with sport. And so the, the joy of doing a variety of stuff that you're in control of and being in control of your diary the way you weren't as a sports person, that is, oh, such a gift. That is amazing. And so it's, that's why I'm saying, you know, sport was a chapter and I definitely don't hanker back to doing that again. Definitely not. Because there's kind of two types of sporting person's retirement, I guess. One's that that made it, were, were fulfilled as a sports person and also made a bit of money out of it. And then the yeah, other side... You've got your voluntary and involuntary, right? It's, Sorry? Um, you've got your voluntary and involuntary. Yeah. Um, yeah, the ones that don't and the ones that don't make any money and therefore have to look at the real world in order to pay the mortgage and get the kids through school and pay for the holidays. Catherine, for you as well, obviously you've gone from performing to, let's be honest, a really high-level role now where perhaps you have responsibility for others. And I mean, have you found that? Has, has that been a, a helpful hindrance, if you like, for you in, in doing what you do now? Yeah, I think, you know, I... I uh, but like Matthew, I was very comfortable when I stopped and I, I'd given it a good go for a long, long time, a lot longer than I expected. Um, and I left, I think if I'd stopped after 2012, I'd have always slightly wondered and, and felt pulled back. After 2016, I felt very content. And that's a, that's a lovely place as, a, as an athlete to feel, you know, that I love it. I look back on it so fondly, but I'm, I'm a good not doing it now. And, uh, but I think even if you're in a great place, achieved what you want and needed and ready to move on. I think the next stage doesn't happen easily. I think there's still a sense of, okay, well, what now? And and there's this kind of, I remember lots of people saying, well, the biggest thing is just take time. Just take time, you know, feel what you want and what you'll need and what you, where the challenges are next and why you want to develop. I thought it's really good advice. I'll take. I just. I'll take. I'll just sit. And after about three weeks, I was like, "That's plenty of time. When I, I want to do something now, because I think we're such doers, and we just, you know, we we've got we like a plan, we like a vision, and give me the mission, and I'm off. So after a few weeks, I got very restless, and uh, but still didn't know what to do. And you and the danger is you want to just grab something to feel you're doing something, and therefore, I remember some of the best advice I got was. We're also because we're all slightly perfectionists as athletes, and there's a sense of I need the right job. I need the right job and the right role, and that's what I'm looking for. And a slight nervousness to commit to anything else that you're not quite sure of yet. And people just said, look, it's not the right job you're looking for, it's just the next job. And actually from that position, when you're in the next role, you can have a different view and you'll be able to look and go, actually, this is where I want to be, or actually, I don't want to be here, but I'll, I know now more about myself. And, you know, you see it as a sort of progression out rather than one big step and then you're there for life. So I think, you know, I, I was more relaxed about the opportunities there and then and then when I applied for the role of chair of UK sport I still didn't know what it really meant or what it would involve or I think the big things for me was would I be any good at it and would I actually enjoy it 
because I think we're very lucky if you've we've talked about if you are the best in the world or one of the best in the world at what you do and you find it an amazing passion and you know, you love doing it then how how on earth do you find something else that matches that but I think for me I found I needed something that was challenging and that I would learn from and I'd develop and I find this role amazing for that I found it a daily challenge in a good way and I and I love still being involved in sport I do think it's a very a very special world to be in do you, do you know what you do now, just for the benefit of those listening? Because, you know, we've got all sort of people from all sorts of sports listening. UK sport, j- just for those that don't know, does what? And, and yeah, what are yeah. you doing on a day-to-day basis? So UK sport is an arm's length government body, ultimately. And um, so we talked about the difference that the National Lottery made when it came in the mid-90s. And a lot of money came in from the public through the National Lottery that was raised. And the idea was that money should go towards sport to go towards culture, to go towards heritage, the arts, all these great things that society needs and, and flourishes from, but the government couldn't fund in the way it wanted to. National Lottery was created, but they needed to have a body to, to help decide where that money would be invested and how. So UK Sport was created. So it's effectively the investment body for all Olympic and Paralympic sports. So I, I'm the chair of it. So I obviously chair the board. So you oversee a lot of the big decisions and the strategy development of looking forward of for high performance sport, kind of which direction it should go in next. How long do you think it will take for you to be in the role, for you to be defined by the role of being chair of UK sport rather rather than being our all-time greatest female Olympic Well, by the next Olympics, I'm sure I'll be overtaken. I won't be the all-time greatest Olympian female anyway. So that's fine. That'll drop. Um, but do you know what? How much did your sport still define you as a go-around? Presumably, as you as you visit various sports and things, a bit like you know, with what Matt was saying, people are constantly wanting to talk to you about your own sporting journey, your own sporting success. I think I think there's two things. One is that that external how people see you and how people want to talk to you, and and how you then feel yourself. So. I, I have a lot of pride in the role I have now and, and, and the responsibility that comes with it. And actually now people will always talk about the Olympics and especially 2012 and my experience there. But people are very interested in, in the role I do now and, and what it involves. So I find I don't I don't want to shake off the fact, you know, I've been an Olympian and I'm very proud of that. I don't want to bury it and never talk about it. But at the same time, I don't want it to define me. I, w- I love the fact it's part of my history, but it's a part of my life. I've I've got other roles, a bit like Matt said. You could list all the different roles we all have, and I love that. You know, it is one part of me, but not the only part of me. Just uh, kind of you mentioned you've been speaking this morning and talking about. How do you find now? Because you, you've kind of transitioned out. Mm. You've you've kind of moved into different roles. And I, I struggle with this as well, that people ask you to come in, they do an inspirational talk. You have to go back to those moments to kind of relive them. You kind of ele- elevate yourself to that moment again. And then what happens when you leave the room? How do you kind of come back down and go back into being the person you are now? That That's something that people never really think about when they ask athletes to come and talk because you have to, to bring out that inspiration and excitement you have to go back into those moments, don't you, to really bring it out. But how do you come down after that? So for me, the way I speak in a, if you're talking a sort of corporate motivational environment, I've changed what I do quite steadily in the intervening years. Because, well, first of all, it's better for me because you're not doing that, right, I'm going to rewind the clock four years five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, And also you're then saying, this is what we did then, and this is what I've learned since. 
because you spend a long time. So it, uh, for me, I'm not standing on stage reliving that Olympic moment in isolation. I'm saying, this is what we did then, this is how we'd think about it. But now, look at the mistakes we made. It would have been even so much easier if we'd done this, this and this. And I wish we'd made these decisions and I wish we'd involved this person or thought of it like that. And so I'm sort of showing my thinking and reflections on it um, and in a in a way that then the material is always changing the learnings are always changing because you're whilst it's still a you know it's a big chapter it's a big talking point it's it's not the only thing I want to be talking about for the rest of my life and, and how do you find that because I gather you're, you're still in the thick of sport aren't you and the the kind of governing body organization that funded everything so to, to kind of blend the two together has that become a natural thing to do or do you still have to kind of elevate and then come back down? Yeah, I think I think the good thing is that and, and it's why we can all, you know, talk as athletes to pretty much any audience is how relatable sport can be for people and, and the lessons we've all learned and, and how we've developed along the way. And I think, you know, I, I just go on and sort of do what I'm doing now and how I've learned in this new role. Some of the lessons that actually show you that, that sport is so... You know, you can move those the same things I learned as an athlete are actually incredibly valuable now in this role, and and so I think you can incorporate it. But I I actually personally like you know I, it's an indulgence for me now. I love going back and talking about the Olympic Games and and the glory days and the happy days, and I walk out and get back to the desk and do some real work, and you know that's <laughs> that brings me right down. So I yeah I think as well it comes from having, you know having left my sport in a very positive place I can go back into that world and talk about it quite comfortably and I don't feel I'm having to put on a, an act or having to put myself back into sort of a dark place to do it and I do talk about the disappointments because that's that's you know part of the, the lessons we've all done but I don't feel I need to become a different person to, to tell those stories okay. how do you find it yeah, yeah no because it's been because I was Obviously, when you come out of the games, you're doing lots of speaking. Stuff. Well, not everybody is, but if you get the opportunity to, you talk about the journey, the ups and downs, highs and lows, and you know you think you're relating it to a business audience, but because you're so athlete minded, you don't really understand the corporate world. And I obviously did talks between like kind of Beijing and London, and then a, a, a company that I spoke to, the MDs moved on, and I went to speak to their company a couple of months ago, basically as a favour sort of thing, and he was like, "Wow." He goes, it's amazing to hear you talk now of the skills and attributes you've learned in the working world and how you can relate it rather than just doing your, this is how, exactly, yeah, yeah. And he was like, well, you've really evolved and it's been great to see your transition into the real world and how you kind of use those experiences in this part of your life, but you can really highlight them, how someone in this room can make them tangible in what they do. Um, and I, that was just that, you know, I don't have to elevate what I used to, but you still get that buzz, the excitement, and then you walk out of the room and you go, oh, wow. And, you know, it's like, I'd love to do that again, but I can't. That was typified, so um, people won't be aware. Mark was recently asked to sign the uh, the Olympic wall at the IOC head new headquarters, um, the legend that is. And just the way that Mark spoke, it was very shortly about himself, but more importantly about those that have made that possible that work in the office. And... Obviously, I wouldn't know, but you would say seldomly do they get the thanks that they they deserve for the the you know collective work that they put in. And for me, standing back and hearing him speak like that, um, as sad as it is to say, I was quite a proud moment because I've known known Mark now for probably three years, three and a half years, and 
the way that he expresses himself about his experience and those around him has really come on he heaps and bounds. Um, and I think that's just about his exposure and his willingness to, like you said, Catherine, about wanting to learn and take those skill sets and, and make them applicable for that current surrounding. So, you know, it was, it was a great moment for me being a friend of Mark's now, seeing that. And, and as I said, just seeing the Institute of, of being an Olympian and, and what a family environment is, is so unique. And it's one that, you know, all of you around the table should so feel so incredibly proud of being part of because for somebody that's outside looking in, it's, it's actually something that you do, you do thrive for, you know? So yeah, I just want to congratulate you all for, for doing that and being so supportive to one another. It's, it's fantastic. So I think, you know, when we were there, you know, as an athlete, you're all so focusing your, your performance. It's simple. Matt spoke about it earlier. You, you know, that particular day, that time you're racing and it's all about that. It's only when you, I found when I retired and stepped out, you start to meet the people that put that event together and those things around you together that you start to create those relationships with people elsewhere. And you're like, wow, they work just as hard as us to make this happen. And then you want to spend time to thank them because the Olympics don't run unless there's a huge team that are actually, you know, making sure that the buses are running on time, the facilities are available, the village is right, all these other things that as an athlete you just take for granted. You just turn up and it's all there. But to have a chance to go and meet the people at the IOC and talk to them and say thank you, you know, you know, whether they were there or not at the time, they're still part of the organisation and, and without them doing their bit, there are no gains basically. So yeah, it was nice to kind of meet those individuals that work so hard behind the scenes. What a lovely uplifting last 10 minutes of this, eh, to finish this all off. I am going to finish by asking you for one tiny morsel for athletes going off to Tokyo. A little snippet bit of advice from all three of you. You've got the uh, bum straw because I'm looking at you first, Mark. You've got time to think about it. You to, Just a little, a little bit of something to put in the sponge they can take away before they go off. Oh, wow, you've dropped me right <laughs> Has anybody else got one? <laughs> Matt, Matthew's the most experienced amongst us all. <laughs> Come on. What would you well, say? Well, no, I'd hark back to what, what Mark said earlier on, which is as as stressful and nerve-wracking as it's going to be, you've got to hoover up all the upsides because it may never happen again. It may never happen again. So really cherish it, really embrace it, and don't feel constrained by the the moment. Don't feel, cause, because I always struggle with nerves, I would have wanted someone to have said, look, just go out there, and show everyone how good you are. Enjoy it. Just cut loose and let it all out. Because that freedom of thought, that freedom of movement would have been great. Rather than when you're under pressure, you tend to sort of hunch down and feel pressed down by it all. And that just, that's never going to end well. You know, just just really embrace it. And that, that I think, you know, is, uh, under all the pressure that the Olympics can bring, that would be great. So Matthew Pinsent, thank you. Dame Catherine Granger. And I suppose slightly following on from oh, Sir Matthew. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. It's only because, you know, I, I think Matthew's right. When you come to the Olympics, you want to be free and just deliver the, the performance you have inside you, whatever that is on that day. But actually the time you have between now and Tokyo is the crucial time. You know, now is the time everything you can think of to improve your performance, everything you can think of to get yourself in the right place physically, mentally, technically, tactically, Everything that you can do, like no soon unturned in that lead up to the games. And then when it comes to games time, then you can enjoy the release. Thank you very much. Uh, have we given you enough time, Legend? Or? 
Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking. No yeah. more thinking. No more thinking. To wrap this podcast no, up, come on, get it out. I, I think remember that first because every athlete has a moment when they think about the Olympic Games, and remember that moment when that was. I remember mine was watching TV. It was watching these guys and the Cell Brothers win in Barcelona. We won two gold medals on the run, and I remember that explicit moment. It was the Cell Brothers, unfortunately, Matt, because I've got a younger brother, and that moment lit the fire. And don't forget, like when it's going hard and the fire might be burning low a little bit, just remember how that got ignited as a, as a it could be a, as a young child, as a young adult. Whenever that spark went off, think back to that, and that's the reason you're you're there, and it's your moment. Thank you, Mark. Scott, have you learned a lot today? I it, look, it's phenomenal. Um, I always I always love meeting the the Olympians. To be honest, such humble people that have reached. The, the heights that most people could never even dream of. Um, so yeah, I just want to thank everyone for today. It's absolutely great to be in your company. It's been brilliant. That's it for this edition of Blood, Sweat and Fears. We are regularly recording new episodes. Got some fantastic guests lined up, so do please keep an ear out and help spread the word as well to those you feel could benefit from learning about the experiences of those who have gone before. For more information about the programme itself, then do visit our website, ey.com forward slash UK forward slash personal performance programme. This podcast and future episodes will be available on iTunes and via the EY website by visiting ey.com forward slash UK forward slash PAS forward slash podcast thanks to Sir Matthew Pinson Dame Catherine Granger legend Mark Hunter and of course to Scott and Mark Clement brought to you by EY building a better working world thanks for listening to the latest episode of Blood, Sweat and Fears the ultimate podcast with a focus on athlete experiences readiness and preparation for life in and out of sport goodbye goodbye